Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. When I was 19 years old, I met my first monk. He had come to my college from his home on a remote monastic community of island lighthouse keepers off the coast of Maine. Part of their spiritual discipline was to keep silence. I was enthralled. As it turns out, I wasn't the only one. The monk, clothed in the black cassock of a Benedictine, was Brother David Stendhal Rost, the leader of an international contemplative movement and friend of internationally famous Trappist monk Thomas Merton. After Thomas Merton's untimely death, Brother David wrote, When I remember my last visit with Thomas Merton, I see him standing in the forest, listening to the rain. Much later, when he began to talk, he was not breaking the silence. He was letting it come to word. And he continued to listen. Talking is not the principal thing, he said. On the afternoon I met my first monk, he said, a person who lives only at the active level is like someone who only breathes out. If I needed one more reason to devote myself to a life of spiritual practice, I received it as a gift from Brother David. Recently, our own Charlene Galarno repeated something beautiful that reminded me of Brother David and sent me back to his work. She said, there's a difference between listening and waiting to speak. There's a difference in a conversation between entering an open, receptive space in ourselves, listening deeply, and busying ourselves with formulating a response as we hear the other's words. I want to take this even deeper to a spiritual framework. There's a difference in prayer or meditation between entering an open, receptive space in ourselves, listening deeply, and busying ourselves with all our, I don't hear anything, or yes, but. I saw this in myself recently over the death of Joan Goodwin. When I really sat with it, neither making it good that Joan didn't suffer or bad and that we miss her so dearly, what surfaced in me was an uplifting sense of the inspiration of Joan's life and a sense of my next best move, following in Joan's footsteps. When the roiling waters of our minds are stilled, when we stop adding chaos to chaos, We can see clearly all the way to the bottom. Brother David Stendhal Rost had a special passion for mining meaning and especially for living a meaningful life. When there is certainly 
purpose without meaning. Humans, he says, need much more than purpose. We need meaning. And that meaning will be the fruit of our obligation to be receptive. Obligation. A strong word with roots in the Latin word meaning to bind. We are obliged to receive. It is the price of meaning. He wonders, he says, about the loss of purpose in life, wonders what we would do if all the things which keep us busy were suddenly to be taken away. Is our busyness our identity? What happened then, he asks, when we can't do anything, when we're caught in a traffic jam or obliged, there's that word again, obliged to wait in a doctor's office, delayed at an airport, stuck in line for groceries, riding out being sick or waiting to die. This, he says, is why we are called to learn receptivity. Receptivity, that open, available place, comes to us as a gift of leisure. So what do we need in order to live in a more leisurely way, he asks. Most of us would probably answer, I need more time. Brother David, however, says, We need a change of mind. Of course we need time, he writes, which invariably seems to be precisely what we don't have. If we think of time we would like to have for leisure as something we will get after work, we will never get it. If, on the other hand, we think of the time we need for leisure as something we can get in the busiest moments, if only we take our time, then we will take the time, however busy we are. In order to take time, he continues, we have to do two things, one negative and one positive. The negative one is hard for generous people, but it is also absolutely necessary. That is, we must learn to say no. Often it is simply our duty to avoid getting so involved that we get crushed. The other positive thing we must learn to do is to say yes. That yes is to finding the feasts that life has prepared for us, to find them in the unlikeliest places and at times when we are at what appears to be an endless wait, a waste of time. The spiritual work is to cultivate a balance of give and take, of openness and awareness of the possibility of finding some meaning in almost anything we have to do, accepting each moment, moment by moment, living right now. We can make the most of it. We can celebrate. I'm sure I loved lighthouses long before I met Brother David Stendhal Rost, but I always think of him when I go to visit one. The now Luddite idea of keeping the light is just lovely to me. In Chatham on Cape Cod, the Coast Guard lives at the light. Retired officers give tours on Wednesday afternoons throughout the summer. For everyone else in my family, going once was more than enough. If I could go every Wednesday, it wouldn't be enough. So one day last summer, I resolved to go by myself. I stepped into the end of a huge line, snaking around the lighthouse lawn behind mostly grandparents and children, feeling a little self-conscious being neither a grandparent nor a child, but 
nowhere near embarrassed enough to leave. Almost immediately, the man in charge called out to see if there were anyone in line who had come alone. They had a place in the next tour for one more person. Guiltily passing at least 50 hot and bothered elders and their myriad, increasingly restless charges, I stepped into the cool, round interior and headed up the spiral steps of the nearly five-story light to catch up. The tour had already begun way above me. And then I realized that if I timed it right, I could have the lighthouse more or less to myself. I would only need to blend in as I headed up and they came back down. I slowed down and began to enjoy my great good luck. Those of you who travel alone will know this feeling. When the amiable chatter subsides, a great, quiet space can open within. When they were last together, Thomas Merton said to Brother David, As you know, I have been living as a sort of a hermit. And now I have been out of that atmosphere for about three or four weeks and talking a lot, and I get the feeling that so much talking goes on that is utterly useless. Something has been said perfectly well in five minutes, and then we spend the next five hours saying the same thing over and over. But here, you do not have to feel that much needs to be said. We already know a great deal about it all. Now, we need to grasp it. Standing silently in that ancient building, gazing out on the sweeping shoreline and the peaceful ocean stretching all the way to the horizon, I was completely, utterly happy. For just a few precious moments, there was no place else I should be. I loved it. And I can recall that lighthouse feeling now and return there in a single breath. Here's what Brother David has to say about this kind of receptivity. Obedience means literally a thorough listening, or as the Jewish tradition says, to bear your ear. It's a means to drop all this and to look at the whole and to praise the whole, as Augustine says. The whole idea is to get beyond self-will altogether because self-will is the one thing that gets between us and listening. All our questioning, all our frantic looking for solutions is just an expression of our little self-will over against the totality. The moment I drop that and give it up, the whole comes through to me and gives itself to me. I'm not so intent on grasping it and holding it when I give it to myself, when I give myself to it. He continues, when we find something meaningless, we say it is absurd. But we say absurd, and we've actually given ourselves away because absurd is the exact opposite of obedience. Absurdus means absolutely deaf. So if we say something is absurd, we are simply saying, I am absolutely deaf to what this is going to tell me. The totality is speaking to me, and I am absolutely deaf. So the only alternative that all of us have in any form of life 
is to replace an absurd attitude with an obedient attitude. By the way, Brother Merton concludes, it takes a lifetime to get just a little way with this. Three years after I first met Brother David Stendhal Rost, I was racing up Berkeley Street from a meeting of the Clamshell Alliance to my work at Mass Fair Share, racing and running on empty. Suddenly, half a block away, Brother David appeared out of the blue. He rounded the corner from Boylston and headed down to the subway station where it's located again today, and I broke into a full run to catch up with him, but he disappeared. And then I stopped, full stop, and began to laugh. The irony of chasing a monk at killer pace, <laughs> especially the monk who had taught me that a person who lives only at the active level is like someone who only breathes out, struck me full force. And although I've never seen him again, the image has stayed with me all these years, often surfacing just when I need it. My spiritual companions, may we live the difference between listening and waiting to speak. May the monk in all of us embrace the obligation to listen and find nothing absurd. May we change our minds and learn to say no to the mad rush and yes to the feast. May we live lives of purpose and let them be filled with meaning. Amen. <laughs>